While it's true that many companies don't allow you to talk about Christ in the workplace, there's absolutely nothing stopping you from being like Christ in the workplace. This is Preach Where You Reach. Welcome to the Preach Where You Reach podcast. I'm Scott Warren, and today my guest is Chris Maroff. He's the author and creator at DCX Community. The mission of DCX is to help develop people, both personally and professionally, connect them to authentic community, and then experience transformation in their work, home, and cities. Chris is a firm believer in the power of relationships and believes that when we walk in vulnerability and empathy, we can find our way toward relationships. Chris has made it his personal purpose to help people do the hard work of self-introspection in order to love and serve the people around them. Because when we get better, the culture around us gets better. Now, this bio, Chris, does not do you justice. There, you have a, a wealth of experience in leadership and business ownership and those sort of things. And I'm sure we'll touch on those things as we go along. But first of all, welcome to Preach Where You Reach. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Now, I have been excited for our conversation for a number of reasons, but one of them is because I feel like our personal missions align in, in a lot of respects. For example, my why is to help people feel heard, inspired, respected, and valued so they can best serve others. Yeah. That's my passion. And so, and in full transparency, I think, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think it comes from my history of insecurity and rejection and as a result of rejection issues or whatever. And as a result of those things, God has used them to allow me to pour into other people so that they don't feel that way. And, and I love that. So I have a feeling that, that there are some things here that are, that, that we're both going to be in agreement on in, in, you know, throughout the conversation. Preach Where you Reach is about how people in various vocations incorporate their Christian faith in their workplace. And, and so we, we will definitely get into that conversation. But before we do that, you know, we talk about the importance of relationships. Mm. So I want to talk about your relationship with Jesus. And how that came to be in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you talk about relationships. One of my favorite things uh, about um, where I am and how I've gotten here it really started with this idea of, of having parent privilege. Um, I just uh, hit the lottery uh, as it relates to my parents. Um, their uh, determination to really provide me with a lot of safety as a kid. But then also raised me in the church. And so I had access at an early age uh, to uh, just a rich um, legacy of really godly people um, who were able to kind of pour into my life uh, from the time I was born. We were uh, at a church, uh, most of my, uh, again, childhood, and what really um, allowed for me to understand who Jesus uh, was, was not only a result of the teaching that I received, but again, uh, being modeled for me. Unfortunately, um, uh, you know, the the personal relationship side of that uh, didn't come for a long time. Um, it was there swirling around, um, but it, it never really landed until I was in my 20s. 
um, and uh, about 27 years old, uh, finally came to this place of really understanding that he needs to not just be the savior of my life, but the Lord of my life. And mm -hmm. so that was a big shift in my own uh, journey uh, is that I, I just realized that obedience um, has to be a big component uh, of this of this walk. Uh, there's this uh, concept, and I tease about it all the time when people ask, "Hey, when you know when did you come to faith?" I'm like, "Well, I think pretty much he chose me from the beginning of time." Um, <laughs> but but my realization of his uh, lordship, uh, the kingdom, uh, and dis and learning how to serve a king happened at 27 years old. And by that point, I had already been married and had four kids, and so for me, it was a a big uh, shift away from being my own lord. Uh, to really bending the knee to his lordship. Wow. Was there a moment that you can pinpoint at 27 that caused that yeah. turn? Yeah, there were there were actually uh, in that year uh, several things. First of all, the birth of our fourth child and uh, starting to wonder at 27, like, is this it? Like, am I, is dad, is, uh, you know, an employee, a husband? Like, what is the point? And at the same time, there had been several conversations I had had um, with people in the church we were in at the time and some uh, sermons that honestly, when I heard them, I'm like, why are you talking you know, directly at me uh, here? And so I just remember thinking, I was in my car, and I remember thinking, man, like there's this constant pursuit. And uh, it was overbearing uh, to some degree. And I finally realized that this pursuit was um, uh, from such a faithful, loving God that I, I just wanted, for the first time, I think, in my life to uh, not be pleased by him, but to please him. And mm -hmm. so it was a moment in the car where I just realized this life isn't about me and what I want and how I want to live, uh, but it really needs to be about something that can give me more purpose uh, something that can give more meaning to being a father and a husband and a coworker, um, and so I decided um, that day to, to to really rearrange my life around his lordship. That's amazing, and and you know I think in 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 my relationship with my wife, she grew up going to Catholic school all her life, and I didn't grow up going to church at all. In fact, I grew up poking at everyone else's faith and and yeah. and. I don't know if I was trying to mock them as much as I was trying to get them to question their own. Yeah. And, and anyway, I, so what happened was that my wife, she pulled away from the church as well because I wasn't in it and I wasn't in it. I wasn't functioning right. in it. So, so she wasn't either. And, and quite frankly, she grew up in a Catholic school environment and, and she felt a lot of guilt and shame. And so I don't think it was that hard to kind of pull her away necessarily from that. But she certainly she certainly did join me in that journey of no faith, in essence. And it wasn't even so much that we didn't believe in Jesus or, uh, you know, or have some deep faith of some sort that was that was buried underneath. It was just uh, the followers of Christ were a bit more of my issue. And yeah. so as it is with a lot of people, a lot of people have that, right. that problem in your case, was your wife, did she have, was she supportive of that, this epiphany that you had? And was she always a believer as well? 
yes. So um, she, so the irony is that uh, she got saved um, at 16 through uh, my best friend's sister um, at the time. And so, you know, so she came to faith a little bit later on, obviously still early. So at the point where I felt pursued, she was a part of that pursuit in her faithfulness, uh, in loving uh, me through my extremely selfish uh, lifestyle, which was, again, being the Lord of my own life. And so therefore, everything I was doing was to pursue my kingdom. And so um, even during that, and I would say during being a time of life when I was let's just say very narcissistic uh, in, in terms of how I approached uh, my life um, and getting what I wanted and when I wanted it and just not understanding, honestly, how to be an adult in a community, which is a big part of what we try to do now is to teach that skill. Um, she was faithful and was part of that pursuit by showing incredible patience and being a consistent positive influence, not even towards church as much as towards Jesus. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that really was a big part of that moment for me. Yeah. You had talked about having this sort of narcissist personality and and you you got what you wanted and those sort of things. But it seems like at at 27, you're married, you've got four kids. Was that what you wanted? Because then you questioned, is that all there is? Yeah. So... No, <laughs> I, mean, I wanted kids. I loved having uh, our children. I wanted three. Okay. And so it was the fourth one that kind of was like, man, I, you know, is this, you know, is this what's coming is because my wife would tease me. She's like, well, I really want five kids. And I'm like, well, I really want three. <laughs> and so it started this this negotiation and this battle. And I'm like, well, is that going to be the rest of the life is just negotiating either away or towards what I want. Is, is it just the things that are in front of me or is there is there more meaning behind those negotiations? And so as I started to kind of like pick apart my own, you know, desires, my own, um, you know, uh, the things that I really wanted, I started to really question, you know, well, what if I get it and then what? Um, what if I make more money? Well, then what? What if I you know, acquire a particular vehicle, then what? It just seemed like the things I would put my mind to, I could do. And so it just started to lose its luster um, because I could do it. And I started to really think about, well, if this is all there is, going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next next thing, I don't understand how meaning uh, plays a role in it. If I'm, if I'm just the Lord of my own kingdom, like it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, bring me any kind of uh, lasting joy. Right. Yeah, I think that's sort of the challenge is when we get these self-help books or we or, or we listen to self-help people sometimes, um, you know, unless we can connect that dot to, and I like Tony Robbins very, very much, but I'm just taking a lot of what he says is right. biblical principles with, with mm-hmm. stripping away the Jesus. And so, but without that anchor of of sort of the foundation of what you're talking about, it, it, yeah. it doesn't really have a great opportunity to, to last necessarily. I don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah. You, well, I, what I say is um, anything that the, that the world kind of produces around wisdom uh, isn't trash. It's just that um, it, it's not intellectually honest mm. all the way through. And so because at the end of the day, you have to be able to answer the question why. And so this idea, for instance, of being good. Well, uh, 
to what end? Um, and then how do we define good? If I define it differently than you do, and my good threatens your good, it just creates all kinds of um, really hard situations in life. And that's where if we're if we're able to serve something bigger than we are, then we can create commonality around a goal, a purpose, uh, a heading. And that really is what uh, anchors me. It's what holds me on course is to know that what I'm serving uh, is way bigger yes. uh, than my own desires, my own wants. And so at 27, when you have this revelation and you turn back to Christ, in other words, you sort of make your faith your own versus something you grew up in. Yeah. What did that look like for you? Did you plug into a church? Did you go to men's you know, ministry? Uh, you know, did you have disciple classes, discipleship? Were you a part of a small group? What, what did that look like? Well, the, the ironic thing was that I never left church. And okay. so, again, it was easy to fit in. Uh, I could I could say all the right things. I could, uh, you know, act a certain way that kept me out of the radar. And get because, again, the, to target what I wanted, I needed a family. I needed uh, cohesion. Like there were some things that uh, I desired that if I had walked away from the church, it would have uh, caused lesions in the family and relationship. And then I would have, the things I wanted in life would have slipped through my fingers. And so all very self-serving, but we stayed, I stayed in the church. Um, and again, would go every single week, um, and prioritize it for me, uh, and for my kids, just unfortunately for not great reasons. Um, but after that point started to really dig into the Bible, um, I, for the first time, became a real student. And that really changed my perspective on a lot of the things that I had grown up believing and really challenged a lot of those beliefs. And so a lot of my uh, issues today around the organization of church stems from my disillusionment around um, what the church was saying versus what the Bible was saying and my limited but you know, my interpretation of what that looked like for me. So really diving in and trying to understand it from a practical perspective of, well, if this is true, then what do I need to do tomorrow? Really sent me in a, in a, uh, this kind of tailspin of, well, if these things are true, then, then how and why is the church acting this way? Um, and why do some people get marginalized? Why do I feel marginalized because I've voiced these things? Why am I? Why have I gone from uh, literally like being on the in crowd of our church to being on the outs after I've decided to make him Lord of my life? <laughs> I, it just none of it, none of it made sense no. um, to me. And so it started like really what's been a lifetime of of challenge. And I think it's more my personality, anyways, to challenge the status quo. But the reality of the the things my kids were hearing, uh, my wife was hearing, but what I was hearing uh, from the Bible were very, very different. And so it just started to really put into perspective, what was I going to pursue, ease and comfort, or was I going to really pursue truth? Even if it meant having really tough conversations at home, really tough conversations at at church. And you know, the biggest cost I had is that I had to have really, really tough uh, conversations with God. Mm. Um, and those conversations had to challenge every bit of narcissism that exists and existed. It had to challenge every notion of pride around my interpretation 
Um, and those conversations, they they go on today. I, there are many topics that that God and I at least temporarily agree to disagree. Yeah. That's that's I, amazing. I still, I still try to submit. Yes. But I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think it's it's um, God knows our heart, right? And so I think sometimes what happens, you know, I think we're we we're afraid to just have a conversation with God that's real, even yell at God if you right. I mean, there are times where for me, I know I've struggled. There was something that happened and I was I was struggling. Yeah, I think it was a, a job that I was hoping would come through and it didn't come through and I was just irritated. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember going into my existing job saying, you know what, God, I usually say, hey, work through me. But you know what, if you want to try to do that today, good luck. Yeah, which is funny to me anyway, looking back, right? right. But it's but it's right. one of those things where I'm just like, I'm not interested in 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 doing kingdom work today. Yeah. I'm just not interested. Right. And, yep. and and I think it's okay to have those conversations because I, I I just pictured God kind of looking down at me, just like, oh, you're so cute. That's that's funny. You yeah. got you with with yeah. grace and grace and and, and right. kindness and love. Just it's okay. You can be angry. And I don't think we I don't think we show that side of ourselves enough, maybe. No. No, it's, it's, I agree. It's it's what he really desires is relationship. And we know that all relationship comes with strife yes. and it comes with, uh, you know, confrontation. And uh, it's kind of the point of the confrontation to me is to get to truth. If the point of the confrontation is to get my way, then, yeah, that doesn't I, I don't feel like that serves. But he, I think he knows my heart to know. I, I really want to know the truth. I really yes. want to discover the deep things about my God. And what on the surface doesn't seem to make sense to me, I have no problem confronting him uh, about, uh, again, toward truth. Right. It's so funny because we sound like very similar in in a number of ways. And I remember there was a time when I had, uh, I was in a conversation with my former pastor and we were talking about, I think it was politics of some sort. And I remember saying, what does the Bible say about this? And, and he would say something and I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want your opinion. I'm not mm. interested in your opinion. I only care about the truth and what the Bible says. That's all I care about. So like strip away anything else. I think that was one of the things where I felt like that's what I want the same thing. I just want to get to the truth. I just yes. want to love people. In, 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 and I see a church that is so divided and, and I feel like I just want the truth. I just, you know, I, I was just reading today. Uh, in the Bible where, it, you know, obviously it talks about the greatest commandment is the, to love God. And yeah. the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And and I just felt like, yeah, but we, but we missed that part. Like, it, yeah. these, are, these are commandments. They're in red letters. Like, it's this is Jesus speaking to us. And yeah. and we ignore that in a lot of ways just to have this stance that we, and it's it just drives me insane. So I struggle with a lot of those things. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a constant battle for me to again, fight through uh, the the status quo of the religious or the church institution to get to the very heart of what God wants for me and for my family and for the, the sphere of influence that I have. And so he's given me platforms. He's given me um, ways to communicate and to really affect uh, those around me. And so I really want to be a good steward uh, of that platform um, and so, yeah, finding and seeking that truth uh, has become so important as I've gotten older uh, to dig in and to wrestle with things that 
uh, I think a lot of people might take on face value um, and, and where he, he made me, he designed me to be a challenger. And so, uh, again, my heart, and I think he knows my heart, is to do that to his glory and not to his shame. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think that's right. It's the heart behind it, 100%. So you have this moment. And did you always have this desire in you to because you've owned a bunch of companies and things like that. Did you have that desire, that that entrepreneurial spirit or that desire to lead? Was that always something in you? Um, no. Uh, well, it probably was there. I didn't know to recognize it. Um, I think I'm, I'm and have always been up for anything, kind of the mentality of, well, this thing that's in front of me, um, I'm super excited about and I really want to engage at the highest level. Uh, I have a, a great amount of pride in, in this idea of excellence and in, in doing everything to the best of my ability. And so um, as things evolved, at, at this point, I had worked for my, my parents uh, for the last five years. So they had walked away from 20-year careers, uh, my mother in education, my dad in technology, to uh, uh, start a business together. And then they hired me 22 year old, you know, know it all uh, to, to join them in that effort. And so at the time, the idea of entrepreneurship and the idea of leadership didn't really uh, resonate with me as, a, as, as I thought about myself. I, I saw it in others and I wouldn't have, you know, obviously shied away from it, but I never thought and contemplated. I'm not very introspective. In other words, I'm not like sitting there thinking about, man, I really want to lead or I really want to be an entrepreneur. I just like, this is awesome. Uh, you know, I get to go help build my uh, family business with my parents. And so it was, I think, about 10 years in that I started to, uh, I think, maybe uh, figure out, okay, well, maybe I have a, a different way that I would do it. And I think that was the first seeds of, I think I want to uh, build my own whatever. Um, I think I want to lead my own company. Hmm. Um, it was about 10 years in. I And again, family business is tough no matter yeah. what. Uh, but Growing up in a home where my parents uh, made sure I understood I had I understood I had intrinsic value, uh, and and that that value is uh, was placed there uh, from the beginning of time by my creator, and then go going from that experience to working for them, and all of a sudden in the workplace I didn't have intrinsic value uh, in their eyes. I had uh, productive value, mm. and that was uh, earth shatter. That was like uh, that really crushed me, especially toward the end of the ten you know, 10 year mark, I would start to like think, man, why is it one day I come in and I talk about these contracts that I've gotten and they're so thrilled with me and heap all kind of praise on me. And then, uh, you know, a client calls up uh, upset uh, with something I've done or said, and now I, I, in their eyes in that moment have no value. Um, and so that a pendulum swing really rocked me uh, to understand, well, what is my value and, and how do I show up in a, in a workplace uh, that kind of exercises that value. I remember after the 10-year mark, I moved into uh, a true leadership role. Up until that point, I had done some leadership, but mostly in, in, I was kind of like a little bit isolated into the marketing and sales side of what we were doing. And so when I moved into more operational leadership, I remember sitting in my office that day and uh, feeling like uh, I'm staring at my computer and I'm like, I literally have nothing to do. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. And the flood of emotions that were telling me, screaming at me, if you sit here and don't produce, your parents will think you have no value. Wow. And that really started to uh, change 
the way I viewed uh, my workplace experience. And it really propelled me to start thinking about uh, doing my own thing. And so five years later is when I launched out and, and really, you know, decided, yeah, I want to I want to start my own business in the same industry, but in a different state uh, to figure out, can I do this? We had been going through some really tough things at work. The uh, familial arguing was going through the roof and it just started to get ugly and they were no longer my parents. My brothers were also in the business at the time and uh, it was the four of them saw eye to eye and then there was me. And so it was just a conflict constant uh, confrontation. And uh, it just started to wear me down and wear my parents down. And and so my dad approached me and he said, hey, you know, you're, you're wanting to launch things out in Texas. Um, and we were up in New England at the time. And so he said, hey, why don't you take the few contracts that we have? And it was at that moment I realized, like, this is like, I do want to be an entrepreneur. I, I do want uh, to lead. I think I can lead an organization where people don't have to struggle to understand their value. So that was kind of a five-year journey that I went on uh, for the last five years I was with my parents. And, and the, the great news is as soon as I uh, left um, and started on my own, I got my parents back, I got my brothers back. Like it really changed the dynamic um, and we were able to kind of uh, heal wounds as it related to, to work uh, and value. So that's kind of the first time I, I really was able to launch out. And I was yeah, 38 uh, at the time. I was going to ask you how the relationship is now with your parents. So that's great news that that, that, yes. that came back together. When you were first starting to lead, did you have this, did you have insecurities or, or imposter syndrome, you know, with, with yes. kind of being out on your own? Yeah, the having this idea of leadership and like creating, and thankfully I had a guy, uh, Jason Perkins, who was uh, a really great friend and had been a lifelong friend. He actually had been uh, in ministry for a long time, and I recruited him to help me start the business. And so he um, uh, had had come with a lot of like uh, organizational health uh, components. And so we put those together to try to create an organization that was really healthy from a from an employee centric perspective. And so this idea of of leading and thinking, you know, we we can do this. I, I had that going for me. But on the on the back end, the whole time, um, I'm still wanting to prove myself uh, through the doing. And so if I'm not doing, I'm not useful. And so it was kind of ironic that I'm trying to do both of those things. So I'm trying to make sure my people who are working for me understood they had intrinsic value. Uh, and it was based on uh, who they are, not what they do. And yet that was my that was my biggest failing was I just kept referring, uh, like referring back to the time with my parents to say, well, it's true for them, but it's not true for you. If you're not a strong, confident leader, if you are not solving problems and managing crisis, everything is going to, it's going to go in a terrible direction. People will like question you. So I I wanted it for them, but I didn't understand to get it even for myself during that time. I don't think that's unusual, though. I, you know, for me, it's the same thing for the people that I lead. I'm really, really good at making them feel heard, inspired, respected and valued. hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm not as good at that at home with my wife and my kids. And that's something I absolutely have to work on. And uh, so I feel like I, 
you know, it's, it's, it's easier for some reason to do it outside and, and maybe it's just too, too familiar at home. I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. just, but I feel that for sure. Now, when you started this business, um, was this something going out on your own? Was this something that you, you prayed on or you were just not real happy where you were and you were just going to go re- this wasn't a prayerful moment. <laughs> no, this was a, yes, I'm going. I tend to be, a, I call it a jumper. Uh, you know, I, I tend to jump. Like as soon as I see something, uh, again, this goes back to, you know, just this idea of like, uh, you know, I see something I want and I go get it. And this aligned with what I wanted big time. Plus the the confrontation at work was spilling over into the home where, you know, my wife just knew it was a constant struggle. And then, to make matters worse, it, it you know, we lived basically in the same town. And so we just, we got together and my wife was just sick of hearing, honestly, about work all the time. Like, you know, uh, whenever we got together with family, that's all we talked about. And so um, she's my anchor. She is the uh, sober-minded, wise, uh, you know, patient human. And so when I came home and I'm like, hey, you know, this is the opportunity. And she didn't slow me down at all. <laughs> and it was, it was go time. Uh, and so it was uh, crazy how fast it went. We had the conversation. I had the conversation with my dad in uh, like November of 2010. And we had moved to Texas uh, by June of 2011. You know, we had to sell a house. We had to, there were a lot of hurdles and everything fell into place um, in a way that allowed us to move down in June of 2011. So we moved 2000 miles away from literally everyone we knew all of our family. Um, it was like moving to a different country, uh, coming down to Austin, Texas, and trying to figure out how to start a business, how to be a, a husband, a, a supportive, you know, dad during because our kids were, you know, uh, from middle school to uh, just out of high school. So, you know, the kids are, are older, and this is uprooting them. And right. so it was a it was a big leap. Um, but one that we yeah, we just we jumped. And I wonder if um, when you started this new venture, if you were creating the foundation or the culture of this new business purposefully from a position of 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 faith and 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 Christ-like characteristics, and this is what we're gonna. This, these are the pillars of of what we value. Or if it was like I just know how I felt there, and I don't want people to feel that way. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. You know, the reality of um, building a, an organization that was founded on uh, the concept that your soft skills are more important than your hard skills. Um, I know that I, I would have wished that somebody could have spoken that into me at an early age. They, they could have told me, Chris, your value to me, your significance to me is when you're kind to me. And that's more important than any hard skill you can learn. And so the idea that I could uh, start a business where that became a foundational component of, uh, of work, and it really um, helped me understand, um, like, my role or place in creating the organization and, and that he designed me to, uh, you know, really focus on that because of my, my own personal struggles. And you speak to the importance of vulnerability and empathy yeah. in terms of, you know, building relationships. And why do you find that that is important? What, what does that do? Yeah. So the, the, 
the interesting thing was organizational health was really, really important to me. Uh, emotional health, not at all. And so I didn't realize that until uh, the end of 2014. So I'd been at this for in Texas for about, uh, you know, three, four years. And that gentleman, Jason, I talked about, we had uh, had our company Christmas party. We had grown, uh, the, the company exploded. So I went from three of us to 60 of us in a few years. Hmm. And, um, and uh, Jason was a big part of that. And we had our Christmas party and it was the biggest Christmas party yet. And we are all on a high. Very next day, Jason uh, hands in his two-week notice and um, was going to go back into the ministry and had been talking with the church for the last nine months. And that really sent me into a, a spiral because I really wondered, why didn't he tell me? Why didn't he bring me along? And so um, uh, I had been meeting with a discipleship pastor for the last few years. We had started a small group at church, and their big small group uh, function was more about uh, doing life with one another, less less on the Bible study, more on the area of empathy and uh, connectivity, of which, by the way, growing up in New England with the parents I had, empathy was never modeled for me. Vulnerability was not modeled for me. And so it was a learning curve. And, and that's why I was meeting with him week, weekly, because he was a little leery of this, you know, hardened uh, New Englander trying to lead this, uh, you know, life group where it's all about empathy. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't get that, but whatever. Uh, I feel happy, sad, mad, and I don't want to feel any of those, so I don't understand. Right. Here's what here's what will happen: is you'll explain to me what you're feeling, and then I'll just explain to you why you don't need to feel that way. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's not the way that works. And so years of of his coaching, and uh, he met with me uh, right after uh, Jason resigned, and he would almost always start with, uh, "How are you feeling?" And I'm like. And, you know, at first I'm like, well, I don't understand your question because I do everything I can not to feel. And then I got better at understanding that he doesn't want to hear fine, good and OK. Uh, so he started to explore. But there was only a certain amount of vulnerability I was going to share. Uh, and any amount of vulnerability I would share wouldn't was not going to cost me anything. And so, you know, he he looked at me and after our conversation for about an hour, he says, uh, he says, you know, you can share anything with me. And of course, in my mind, I'm like, well, that's absolutely not true. Uh, there are a lot of things I want to share with you. Um, you know, he, he said, is there anyone on the planet you would share your deepest hurts or fears with? And of course, I lied and said, yes, I got my wife. I got my family. I've got tons of people, friends that I would share these things with. Well, I got in the car that day and I was driving home and I, I uh, my personality converts um, every single uh, emotion into anger. And so just in a rage on the way home. Um, angry at Donnie, my discipleship pastor, for asking me these questions. Uh, angry with Jason for leaving. Uh, just, just anger, uh, just overwhelmed me in that car. U ultimately, angry at myself because I was in a prison of my own making. Yeah. That anger quickly turned into just uh, sobs, um, and that was the first time at 42 years old that I had, I had really thought I'd cried as an adult. Um, and, uh, it, it just, um, sent shockwaves through my body to, to, you know, I got, I remember pulling up outside my house, cleaning myself up and getting in the house. And, you know, again, I can't let my kids see me cry. My wife see me cry. Like there was just this, this idea that if people saw weakness in me, that they wouldn't follow me, mm -hmm. um, that, that I had to be strong for their sake. I have to be responsible. Um, I need to be a strong, confident husband, father, employer. 
And so God started to really do a work. And it took about 12 months for me to really understand who that person was. He There was a verse that, and I, I don't remember the reference, but I remember reading it. And Paul says, if in your weakness, uh, you are strong. And I remember reading that going, I remembered this verse differently. <laughs> Maybe I wanted to remember it differently, but I, I thought it said, and come to find out there is just another reference that says, in your weakness, he is strong, mm-hmm. speaking of God. But in this particular case, is in your weakness, you are strong. And that really threw me for a loop. And for the first time, I understood the power of vulnerability, yeah. that I had uh, created a prison for myself um, because I was just simply afraid. And so it, it really unlocked for me that uh, people do want to, they do want to feel powerful um, by filling in the gaps of my own weakness. And by robbing them of that, I was putting everyone not only at arm's length, but I was I was locking them out of their own greatness. Yes. In fact, the hat I have on now is called uh, greatness. And that's really one of the components that we talk about with our leaders is our job as leaders is to trade our power for their greatness. And this idea that they have greatness is, is rooted in the fact that they have and we have intrinsic value. So I started to really research what is that value? What am I trying to unlock in other people? Mm-hmm. And for me, it became very, very clear that what I'm trying to unlock uh, are the very, very character traits that got embedded into our soul from the time we were born. Things like love and compassion and empathy and vulnerability and patience and faithfulness. All those things that, that bind us together are, are who he is in us. And what a, what a special thing that we get to do as leaders um, through our own vulnerability is call out the greatness in others. To trade our greatness for theirs. And uh, to walk into every room and think, I'm either going to make this meaning about me or I'm going to make it about them. And it's very binary. And so that's really what DCX and what I endeavor to do every day is to pastor uh, and to, to, to minister to leaders all across the city of Austin to understand that their calling is not to focus on their greatness, but to focus on the greatness of the people that God surrounded them with. That's so, so good. Yeah, thank you for that. Ultimately, people want to connect. They, they want to belong. Yes. And, and we connect through common human experiences. Our failures are more common than our victories. Yes. Really, so yes. so we bond over that that vulnerability, that that weakness. But that's what makes us stronger because we're right. not alone. That's right. it, it, it's so. And, and I've I talked about this on a on one of my uh, early episodes where I was always I'm very I'm an empath. I, I can mm. be very emotional at, at the drop of a hat, and it's it's it's. It's authentic. It's not manufactured. I, I, I can't do that. It's just who I am. And, yeah. and I hated it so much. And I wanted to just have that taken away from me because I could celebrate something great and be crying as I'm celebrating it or reading an email about uh, uh, one of the people that works for me about what a great job they did that someone wrote in and said, hey, I want to praise them. And I would read it and I would get emotional and I would it would drive me crazy. And I remember reading, and I, and I mentioned this in, in the earlier podcast, but I remember reading T.D. Jakes, and in a book he wrote that Jesus was a lion and a lamb. And mm. and it just hit me that it's okay to be that softer, 
person. I don't have to be. This is who he made yeah. me to be. And as a result of that, as a result of that empathy and that vulnerability and that that compassion and that side of me that is so dominant that people react to that sort of leadership. They yeah. they will do anything for me because they know it's authentic. That's right. And it's powerful. So the, the, the fact that we can teach others, the fact that you are helping others sort of see that side of themselves and, and become stronger leaders as a result and impact the community as a result, that is powerful stuff. Yeah. It's awesome to see, like, there are a lot of leaders in our organizations that um, look at me and they 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 question their leadership and they think I'm not as confident as you are. I'm not as brave as you are. I'm not as decisive as you are. And I said, I, well, first of all, I love being those things. Okay. Um, but I would describe you as one of the kindest human beings I know. And so what I'm jealous of is that you're a kind leader. That's a superpower uh, delivered by you um, in a way that only you can deliver. And there are going to be human beings that will be desperate for your kindness. And that's just not, it's, again, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to work my hardest to be as kind as I can be, but I can't deliver it the same way you can. And so we always want what we don't have as it relates to those soft skills. And that's why I say all the time, soft skills require transformation. Uh, hard skills only require information. You can learn anything. Yeah. Um, but w what a wonderful thing to acquire like I, I'm, I'm still. I'll probably be on a lifelong quest. I want to acquire patience. Mm, yeah, I'm well, with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So whenever I'm patient to my employees, it's such a gift uh, because it's it costs me. It's charity. It is truly agape love. Um, I have to give it away because it's just not who I am naturally. I'm naturally an impatient human being, and so when I can slow down and give that to them as a gift and be patient. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's forever. Um, that's a, that's one of those, uh, things as a leader that, uh, you, you'll have forever. It, it's ultimate fulfillment in leadership is when I can lay out, lay down my own life for my employees. There's nothing, there's nothing that describes that, that level of, of love yeah. for another human to lay down your own life. And so that's, that's the component of leadership that we really, uh, again, try to instill uh, in those uh, in our community is that that loving your people is so, so important. But let's define it. Um, it's it's about sacrifice. It's about charity. And then we tell them you've got to serve your people. Um, right. And so we define that through this idea of making sure that after every interaction, your people feel known, heard and valued. Um, and so if you can do that, uh, you're, you're going to be way ahead of the curve as it relates to leadership. Um, because they're going to understand that they do have intrinsic value. Uh, that's my favorite part of what we get to do is that I don't need to walk around at work and talk about Jesus and talk about uh, going to church and talk about anything to do with religion. Mm -hmm. um, I get to talk about the greatness of who he is through the way I interact uh, with those at work and really point them to truths, fundamental truths that are true, whether they even are aware of it or want to believe it. Number one, the truth is they have intrinsic value. Right. Uh, they have a creator who loves them so de so de desperately, and he wants relationship with them, even if the relationship is rocky, even if it's out of uh, like this idea that I don't even know who God is. That's OK. He just wants relationship. Yeah. And so we just really 
again, we call it sneaky Jesus. We just talk about who he is um, and and how he wants to interact with them. Um, and then we just, you know, we always encourage them, find him. Like he of any of anybody on the planet, he's going to want to make sure he's known to you. So just if you're seeking him, he'll he'll reveal himself Absolutely. to you. Uh, but it becomes a, a great starting conversation when we instead of telling people what's wrong with them, we tell them what's right with them. Yeah, so good. I love that. You know, it's interesting because we talk about, you know, the, the hard skills or soft skills slash human skills. Um, yeah. You know, I'm in my day job is that I'm in healthcare and the people that I lead interact with patients throughout the day. And, you know, empathy is a huge piece of that mm-hmm. because we work with people that have life sustaining medical needs and, and prescription needs yeah. and things like that. And so it's how do you teach empathy? And for me, I always start by asking them, when was there a time that you experienced empathy? So at least we yeah. get it. You know, we have pretty much yeah, something to work with, but that's the tough thing because, you know, th- there are people who like me that are very focused on that empathy piece and the human piece. And then we've got numbers people, which are very black and yeah. white and whatever. And, and right. some of those numbers people are involved in the work. And, and so how do we help them, see that empathy side of things and, and the value of that side. And and so it can be, it can be challenging, but man, it's powerful when you, when you get it, when you, right. you know, when you make yourself available to them. And, and I always say what I pour into my people, they will pour into the patients. It's just, I have, I have to show them that it's kind of reminds me of like in a marriage, maybe where your spouse didn't grow up in a loving home and, and, and maybe didn't see love between mom and dad, or maybe didn't even have dad or whatever it is. Right. It's harder for them maybe to, to be able to express love because they haven't seen it. They haven't experienced right. it. And and I was, I was talking to someone the other day about atheists. I, I, I've been hearing a lot of atheist conversations on TikTok and, 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 you know, people mm-hmm. like, uh, Penn Gillette, for example, who, uh, part of the Penn and Teller duo and a, you know, professed atheist. And I, and I just kept thinking, I feel like it's more that they just haven't experienced that overwhelming presence of God that made them weep and fall to their knees. And so because they haven't experienced that yet, I'm not going to, you know, I've got no hard feelings for them bashing my faith. That's right. Because they just haven't experienced it yet. It, right. It's like skydiving. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that are, they get hyped up over skydiving and I, I can say, well, I don't know what the big deal is, but it's because I haven't experienced it. That's right. And and so I think that's, uh, I, I give a little bit more grace to those that oppose my faith than, than perhaps I used to, but I feel yeah, like that's, that's you know, that's just maturing in the faith. It takes, it takes time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, I think that's the power of empathy or the power of uh, compassion is that and my wife is, is an empath. And so, um, you know, she always refers to me as like being this, uh, very brave person. And I'm like, well, from my perspective, uh, because you're so willing to delve into feelings, you're like the bravest person for me, the bravest person on the planet. Right. That stuff scares the crap out of me. <laughs> uh, and the reality of, of empathy, and this is how it worked, uh, with the, again, the discipleship pastor who was, uh, discipling me toward empathy is he, he just asked me, he said, well, if, if he's the Lord of your life, um, he, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So I'm going to, and that was the very end of a session. He goes, I'm just going to leave you with that. And so, um, I remember for the next week, just really grappling with that and really trying to, this is one of those, 
you know, agree to disagree with God for a while. And I was like, well, I just don't, I don't understand because I, I can provide some help and healing um, with information that if they just had this information, they wouldn't feel the way they feel. Yeah. Um, but he really worked in me to make me understand that through science, through this idea of understanding how our brain works, that with high emotion, we go into fight or flight. And in that moment, um, logic is is literally unheard. Like our brain cannot process uh, logic. The only thing our brain is desperate for in those moments is to not be lonely. Um, and in those moments, we can enter, enter in with empathy and and really take us out of lizard brain. Uh, it, it moves us into the ability then to think, to move outside of just the emotion. It just took me so long to figure that out. But once I got it, it sent me down this other path of, uh, of trying to understand, well, if I'm supposed to mourn with those who mourn, like the idea that um, I can feel bad for you in mourning, but I've got to actually go and, and, be, and mourn scared me because I had spent a lifetime trying not to feel, hmm. which meant that I had to go back into a time and I had to recatalog my life in such a way that I remembered I had to go back and dig it up and feel it all over again. The, the, the day my uh, cousin died, he was 21, I was about uh, eight. Hmm. And I just remember um, the, the incredible sadness, the devastation. He was my idol. He was my hero. And when he died on a mo- as a motorcycle accident, uh, I remember as I as again little kid coping with the world as I moved uh, from hurt and being crushed and mourning to anger, even as even at an early age, just moving right to anger and being angry at God that He took Billy from me. Mm-hmm. But He asked me to go back and recatalog and to pull up mourning so that I could give mourning to another person. And now all those moments that I tried to throw away and think and fooled myself that I did throw away, they were all in there. Every moment had an emotion that I could attach a word to. And it was the hard work of doing that that allows me to empathize today is I have to go back and bring up that same emotion that this person's feeling, not what I think they're feeling, but what they're feeling right in front of me so that they can feel like they're not alone. Yeah. That's so powerful because I know that I went through in the past year, year and a half, a pretty dark season of depression. And it was, it was, it wasn't the greatest time of my life. And, and I, I didn't need someone to fix it. I I didn't need that. I needed someone to sit in it with me. Yeah. And, and just, you don't have to say a word. Just, no. just sit here with me as, I, as I'm processing and navigating through this thing. Because to your point, when you're in a dark season like that, you can have you know, people all around you with an encouraging word, with yeah. scripture, with yep. hands extended, whatever it is, and you don't see it and you don't hear it. it, it no. you're, the, the darkness is overwhelming and I just need someone to be there with me in it. Um, and so that's, that's powerful that you're able to kind of do that. I I think it's amazing that you were able to have that transformation, that, that, that paradigm shift of, of not wanting to feel emotion to understanding that the, 
emotion is is a superpower. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm so thankful that, again, uh, these truths came to me uh, at a time, and, and it, it continues today, where I have to, uh, every day, decide, is he going to be the Lord? Because it, if he's my Lord, then I have to obey, and that obedience um, in his kingdom is so important. And he... Uh, he tests it all the time. It's not like I wake up every day and it's easy. It's just a decision that I'm going to make. Right. Is this is this the path I'm going to go down? Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to ever feel as lonely as I felt in that car ride home. Mm. I don't want to ever feel like I I don't have any deep connections with people on this planet. That was as low as I've ever felt, is that I was ultimately alone. And that's really a lot of the work that we do now in the city is working with leaders to make sure they don't feel alone. Leadership can be very lonely. Yes. And we work really hard to make sure that we um, just sit with them. Sometimes we just mourn with them. We rejoice with them. We, um, we try to uh, wait for them to ask for empowerment, but we, we really rest in empathy. And so that's a, that's a big part of what we have to do now. Again, that, that tests every ounce of my impatience and in my wanting to, to, to fix it because I'm a fixer by nature. And, but wow, he has shown, he has shown up in such big ways uh, for me um, when I've rested in him uh, in this concept of empathy. And he's opened doors and conversations that are just so beyond what I could have imagined. And it's just out of obedience. Uh, It's, it's been quite the journey. I think it's just, it's, it's incredible how you're, impacting the community the way you are. I, one of the things I saw is something about the, the table network. What, what yeah, is that? Tell me about that. Yeah, it's the, we call it, we lovingly refer to it as the weirdest networking event. I'll ever go to. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we really, uh, we do lunches all over the city and we, uh, we have a theme every year. This year is the fight for unity. Uh, and the concept is uh, that unity is, very difficult to achieve. Um, and it really takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of, again, force of will to love other people. But what we do is we really tackle at the table network, um, this topic through very specific questions. So we usually come up with two questions, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, how does pride interact with unity or how does it keep us from unifying? And then, you know, how might, let's say humility overcome, um, and so we, we start with those and all we do is we get up, uh, three of us, uh, Kenzie, Zach and I, and we model answering the question as vulnerably as we can. There's nobody that speaks. There's no, uh, teaching going on. It's literally us getting up in front and having to answer these questions, uh, in a vulnerable way that encourages the table discussions. And then the tables go and they answer these questions. And, uh, obviously we have networking time ahead of that. Uh, but really the focus is, uh, to have deeper relationships. The, the, the concept is with deeper relationships, you're going to get better business uh, because you're going to want to show up better for the people in the community that's around you. So that's what we do uh, with the Table Network. Man, Chris, I, I feel like I could just talk to you all day long. <laughs> just, I just, I, I love our conversation so much. And I am grateful that you were able to carve out some time. I have a feeling that we're going to be talking again uh, at some point here, I, I certainly hope so. I am really just blessed by our, our conversation. I am excited for what's next for you because I feel like there's there's more coming. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like God's got so much uh, that, that's that's going to be happening in and through you. 
And I am grateful, not only for your time, but for your openness and your vulnerability, mm. those things that, that you've come to, to, to discover are, are pretty powerful things. And I, um, I'm just praying for, for continued success for you, continued blessing on you and your family. And, uh, I can't wait to see what's coming up next. Thank you for being on Preach Reach. Thanks for having me.